But uh, otherwise, great to see you again. Welcome back. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, we're in the book of James. So James chapter 3. And uh, I will tell you ahead of time that the Lord convicted me big time in my own study through James 3. And so you guys get to share in my spanking and what God was. Yeah, just... needed words and good words. So James chapter three, we're going to look to unpack verses one through 12 this morning. I entitled our message, watch your words. Uh, Cause James is going to talk about our mouths and our lips, our tongue, our words, but let's do this. Uh, we'll just read verses one through five to get us into the doorway and then we'll you know, unpack the rest as we get to it. So if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God and his word. I'm going to read aloud in my Bible, and I have the New King James. And I know sometimes we have different translations, so you can do your best to follow along. James writes, of course, inspired by God's spirit. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle the whole body. James adds, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. He has another illustration. Although they're so large and they're driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And then he says, even so the tongue And so that's what all those analogies are illustrating the tongue. It's a small member. It boasts great things. And then he adds yet another illustration and see how great a forest, a little fire kindles. All right, we'll pause there. Uh, LJ prayed for us in our time. So I appreciate that. Why don't you just take a moment, greet your neighbor, and then you can have a seat and we will jump in. I don't know if kids still say this, but uh, when I was a kid, uh, my friends and I would say these two phrases, there are others, but these two phrases in particular, especially if any of our friends, others would say anything kind of mean to us or barb to us. And maybe you said these things too. The first thing we would say is, uh, I'm rubber and you're glue. <laughs> Whatever you says bounces off of me and sticks to you. Anyone ever say that? Yeah. All right. The other thing we would say is sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me, right? Now, we said those things uh, really in our attempt to negate negative words and hearing these things. But, but how many of you discovered, like I did, that while those phrases are very catchy, uh, they're not necessarily effective? <laughs> because the reality is, is that words can hurt and they do hurt, and sometimes they can hurt really deep. Uh, you know, what a person says to you or what a person says about you has the potential really to inflict a lot of pain and sometimes irreparable damage. You know, there are some physical pains that you and I can experience in life, and we would say, man, that, that is at the top of the list of painful um, you guys, some of you heard my story. Like for me, that would be kidney stones. That's the 
the first thing that goes to you know, the top of the list when I think about the pains that I've experienced. Uh, some of you, maybe you've broken a bone before, and that's a painful experience. A number of you, uh, at least my wife tells me, childbirth is painful. Um, you know, we have friends and family that suffer through different things. Uh, I heard like uh, fibromyalgia is uh, painful. Um, recently, someone in our church has frozen shoulder, and I heard that's pretty painful. I mean, there's all these different things. You know, if you have migraines or if you have a toothache or a backache, uh, you know, all these things are in the category of very painful. And then I think uniquely in the category of excruciating is stepping on Legos. Uh, that's, that's just its own kind of pain. Uh, and along with that, amen. And another pain that just hits a little different in a very different way is the pain or the wounds that are inflicted from words, from words. And, uh, I would imagine in a group of our size that some of you, uh, you have been cut very deeply by what someone has said to you, careless words spoken to you, or perhaps intentional words spoken to you. Right? Some, some of us, uh, you carry unseen scars or you have bruises in your spirit, or maybe even, even right now as I'm speaking, you, you're currently hurting because of something someone said to you, mean or harsh or belittling or, or just careless. And I think we all realize that words are powerful and, and they can pierce us with a very unique kind of pain. And we get to the book of James in chapter three and we realize, oh, James understands this really well. And he wants to communicate to his readers, of course, the original audience and us, as we read it now, some 2,000 years later, uh, that God has a lot to say about what we say. You remember that James has been contending. His point has been for us that if you and I name the name of Jesus Christ, there should be an equal sign between what we say we believe and then what we do. And that our actions should then affirm what we believe and what we believe then should influence the things that we do. That our faith is demonstrated by our works. They are the product and they're the fruit of the true root of Christ in our life. And behavior then displays our belief. He's challenged the reader. He says, listen, don't just talk the talk. Don't make the claim, but you should walk the walk. We should see proof in what you do. It happens to be now in chapter three that this maxim is applied to our mouths. Where he says, you need to mind your mouth or watch your words. And so that's where we find ourselves. Although he introduces the topic, starting off with, well, those who would lead by their own speech. He says, my brethren, not many of you become teachers knowing that we, includes himself, shall receive a stricter Judgment. Now he begins this section as we've seen him do before. And most of you have been journeying with us, you know, I've paused from time to time and we've made note of this where he affirms relationship. He reminds them he's going to do it three other times in this section. And throughout the letter, he peppers, if you will, a reminder that we're family. He's saying, hey, Minasan, we're, we're Kazoku, we're, uh, we're familia, we're Ohana together. And, uh, and, and it's because of that relationship that he then feels 
uh, a responsibility to address some tough topics. And we have made the point before, I'm going to make it again this morning. It's good for us to have those kind of relationships in our life. It's good for us to have people that can spur us and sharpen us. And if you don't have that kind of person in your life, I like to lovingly challenge you to find one. Make that relationship. Be that person for somebody. Like who in your life challenges you? Who in your life have you given the permission to speak truth and invest in you to both be a sounding board? And if I can offer this, but also a reprover of maybe when your thoughts get a little wonky or you get in the flesh, who have you allowed to be that voice that says, Hey, I think you're getting off the rails here. I think it's good for us. It's healthy for us. Now I need to add a qualifier. Even as we begin to talk about the things that we talk about, I want to make sure we have uh, an important distinction that I think James would want us to understand too, is that sometimes words that are spoken in love and spoken in truth, sometimes those words can hurt. And so the distinction is between hurting you and harming you. Because sometimes the truth hurts. And if you're like me, it hurts because, well, my ego gets hurt is really what happens, right? I'm confronted with my sin or my selfishness or my bad behavior or I'm acting out in my flesh. And that gets called out and I don't like that in my flesh. And so my pride gets hurt. And so there's a distinction we have to understand between, uh, you know, that's a good kind of hurt. That's not a harm. No one's trying to harm us. And sometimes it is those necessary things, truthful, loving, and yet it can be painful, but it's not, arm, it's not aimed to harm you. Some of you know, about a week and a half ago or so, my wife Christy slipped and she fell in a bakery and she tweaked her knee pretty bad. And so she came home, she was in terrible pain and hobbling around and and so I'm like, it happened at the store. She said, yeah. And friends are like, hey, you should sue the bakery. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want money, but maybe I can get lifetime supply of pies and cakes. That would, <laughs> I wonder if God would be okay with that. <laughs> so she's in pain. And so we took her to the clinic to get examined and, you know, had an MRI and these things and praise the Lord. Nothing was torn, but swollen. If you see her, she's still hobbling around and but part of the exam, the doctor wanted to see her leg. And part of the exam, you see, then starts to push on her knee and adjust her leg. And she's, you know, uh, adjusting it. And she begins to wince at the pain. Oh, it broke my heart. I had to leave the room. And so, uh, no, she can. <laughs> Can't stand to see you like this, honey. I'm going to go. <laughs> um, but it hurt her. And she said, ouch, it hurts me. But you know, the doctor wasn't trying to harm her. It was necessary as part of the process of figuring out, okay, what's wrong and how do we get this thing to heal and how can we strengthen and how we can provide some stability and growth. And, and the same is true for words of correction and words of rebuke and words of reproof. 
The Bible says of itself that it is profitable for us. All of scriptures, God breathed, inspired so that we can be equipped. And along with that comes then times where you and I will be confronted, rebuked, and reproved. And it can, it can hurt sometimes, but necessary. And it's a good kind of pain, if you will. And so we have to be careful that we don't automatically associate that hurt me with, well, that harmed me. And James himself is uh, applying some pressure (laughs) in different soft spots of our spiritual walk. He wants to make sure that we uh, are going to grow stronger, that we have some stability to our lives. And again, there are times where God will bring such a word to you. And maybe to come through a brother or sister and understand, hey, they love you. And because they love you, they love you enough to say something. And that's what James is saying here. My brethren, I love you. I have some things I want to say to you. It's Proverbs 27, 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of of a friend. What does he start with? He says, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Notice that he includes himself in this warning, but he begins with a warning. The reason for this admonition. Now, first of all, as an aside, we need to understand that wanting to teach, becoming a teacher in and itself is not a, it, it's a good thing. He's not, he's not discouraging that desire. He's just saying, understand there's some responsibility there, right? Because teaching uh, is a noble work and it's a hard work. And many of you are teachers and you teach your kids, of course. And so in some regard, we're all teachers. It's a hard work. It's a heart work pouring out yourself to invest in somebody else, to educate, to inspire to motivate, to disciple. And really aside from our parents, you know, most of us have spent most of our time with our teachers as we've grown up, many hours spent. And, and I'm grateful, although I, I know that I had some really amazing teachers and there's others that I don't know. They, but their instruction and their example have shaped us and influenced us. And so this is what James wants us to consider that the weight of the responsibility for those who instruct and those who influence others, well, there's a heavier weight there, especially in context when it comes to the house of God and the things of God. It's teaching spiritual truths and that responsibility and that accountability. Well, that increases, uh, you know, uh, a multifold. James doesn't really get into it. He just says, hey, just be aware of this. Now, the implication is we're all going to give an account. It just happens to be that teachers are going to have a stricter standard by which we are judged by. Paul the Apostle digs into it a little bit more, and he tells us that leadership in church really is more about character than ability. The list of attributes that he gives to Timothy and selection of church leaders you go through that list, most of it has to do with uh, who a person is, not necessarily what they do. Well, there's one thing and it is able to teach, but that list is more about uh, a person's integrity. 
you know, so often we, we give a lot of value to charisma and ability where God says, no, I give more value to character and integrity. And so here James brings that idea. It's a higher standard. And it's sobering. And it's sobering for me. Uh, I realize one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account, not only for my own family and the things that I discipled and led and the example that I gave to my own family, but okay, I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for us, for, for what I've said from this pulpit and Bible studies. And, and I take that very serious. It's a very scary thing to think about. And yet what a tremendous privilege. I want to suggest to you though that the principle of what you say will be judged is true for every believer in Christ. And like it or not, even add this, we're, we're judged and evaluated by things that we say now, not just when we get to heaven. The here and now, people are making an evaluation of you and me and, and the things that we do and the things that we say. I mean, even non-believers around you kind of have their own idea of how a Christian should speak and act and behave themselves. Well, many years ago now, I was newly saved, perhaps my first year as a baby Christian. And I was at work one time and, and uh, just having a bad day. So I had a bad attitude and someone came into the back in the warehouse where I was and I was looking for something and they were looking for something. And, uh, and they just said, you know, Hey, where's this thing? And I didn't care for how they asked. And so in my flesh, in my bad attitude, I turned to them and I said, I don't know. It's up your bottom. The warehouse guy was there and looked at me with shock and disdain. And he says, hey, aren't you a Christian now? I was like, oh. So I gave him the one way sign. I didn't. <laughs> Even the world holds us to higher standards. Right? We're going to have a judgment. Well, then James continues, verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many things, period. And all I can say is, Amen, James. We all stumble in many things. Right? This gospel truth, we're not perfect. Uh, none of us is sinless. The Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. I mean, only Jesus was perfect. Only Jesus was sinless. That's why he alone qualifies to be our savior, our redeemer, to take our place, to pay for our sins. Only Jesus qualifies. But James just reminds us, and, and this is good. This is grace. Hey, we're, we're going to mess up. This isn't a, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're being perfected by the spirit of God. And so we all stumble. It reminded me of this dream that I had it was just last night. I had this dream that I died and went to heaven. And there I was walking down the halls of heaven and the angels kind of walking me along. And I looked on the wall and there are all these clocks. And I started looking I'm like, that's interesting. So I asked, hey, what are all these clocks for? The angel said, oh, those, those aren't clocks. Those are sin meters. Like sin meters, what are sin meters? Like, oh, every person has a meter and when they sin, it moves. Like, what? 
So I'm like, I want to go see Josh's, all the Josh's in the church. Yeah. <laughs> 52 Josh's in our church. There's a whole hall just dedicated to Josh. And they're all moving pretty good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what about Lawrence? I want to see Lawrence. Because there's also 52 Lawrence in our church. And they all had cobwebs on them. I'm like, oh, all right. Then I'm like, where's LJ's? Where's LJ's? Sin meter. They said, oh, we keep it in a special place. I'm like, oh, really? Where, where do you keep it? They said, oh, we keep it in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, it's because he's a good cook? I said, no, we use it as a fan. Just... <laughs> just joke. I didn't have that dream. That's just a joke. <laughs> we all stumble. We all mess up. And, uh, but we have to remember the same grace in which God saved us is the same grace in which his spirit sustains us. Right? The same grace that we should have for others and for ourselves. We talked a couple weeks ago, hey, we should have a, a margin of mercy for people, right? And to include ourselves. And God, that's how God looks at us, you know? Sometimes we think God's like, uh, like a mafia, you know, the, the Godfather. So we stumble and he you know, says, okay, I'm going to break your legs. No, that. He's Father God. He's like, get up, let's dust you off. Come on, let's keep going. And God would desire that we learn from our mistakes and grow in our maturity. And James happens to focus on one particular way in which we can mature in our faith. And that is in our mouths. We display maturity in our faith by the mastery of our mouths. The way that our words come out. And we understand that in the natural, right? It's the immature person that has no control over the things that they say. And yet the Bible tells us, oh, the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Well, part of that is self-control, love and patience and kindness, long-suffering. Self-control is one of them. That includes then what we think and what we do. And that includes what we say. And what James is going to bring us to, he's going to basically contend that it's the mature person that can hold their tongue. It's the mature person in the Lord that understands sometimes it's better to say nothing at all. It reminds me of uh, Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when he's excited. He sees Elijah and Moses and there's Jesus and Jesus is transformed and transfigured. It's a preview of coming attractions and he's so excited. He doesn't even know what to say. He just says, oh, I'm going to let's build a tabernacle, three of them right now. And Mark 9 says, Peter said that because he didn't know what to say. And I can relate to Peter. Sometimes I just say things. I don't know what to say. But the lesson in that for Peter for you and for me is sometimes if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. <laughs> and so spiritual maturity, if we can say it this way, it's marked by mindful speech. Because here's the truth, right? Your words will reveal a lot about you. Your words, your choice of words. The things that you say will reveal a lot about you. Proverbs 29, 11 says a fool vents all of their feelings, but a wise person holds them back. Proverbs 31, 26. 
It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And so this is where James brings us. Now, what he does though, if you notice, he's going to use these vivid word pictures, illustrations. In fact, there's six of them, six different ones that he brings to his discussion. The first, notice with me, verse three, and really it's tied to verse two where he says, if a person doesn't stumble in words, they're perfect. They can bridle their tongue. And so the idea of bridle or bridle their body, excuse me, he says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we can turn their whole body. And so the first illustration he uses is a bit in the mouth of a horse. Anybody grow up around horses or you, you ride horses or nobody first service, like half the people, all the horse people come to first service, you know, <laughs> a few of you. All right. Uh, man, one time I was, I was riding this horse, I started off kind of slow. It was good. And then it got faster and faster. And then I ended up falling off and my leg got stuck in the stirrup. It was crazy. The horse was going up and down and my head was hitting and I was going to black out. I was crying out for help, help, help. Oh, praise God, the manager came out and unplugged the machine for me. And <laughs> so, I was, yeah, I wanted my quarterback, everything is terrible. Yeah. All right, just make sure you're awake. Yeah. Not a true story, not a true story. I've never ridden a horse, I, uh, but I've seen plenty of Westerns and uh, been to horse races in California. Um, and you think about like at least a horse race. You know, to me, it's amazing about horse races and horse jockeys is that they get the lightest, smallest person and they put them on this giant, powerful, beautiful animal. And so here it is, the smallest, lightest frame of a person on this huge animal, powerful. Right? They don't get somebody my size, right? And here's a small person. And how do they control this powerful, majestic animal? This little bit. Reins. Bridle. And so that's the imagery that James is bringing. This illustration It's the smallest thing that controls something so powerful, something so massive. Then he adds to that verse four, look at ships. Now for us in Okinawa, like we, we can, we understand sailboats and kayaks and many of you in the military, these huge gigantic ships and cargo ships and cruise liners. Just look at ships. Although they're so large, of course, he's James thinking about sailboats driven by fierce winds, fast, furious, powerful. And yet how do they controlled? How are they steered? A very small rudder, right? Proportionally, this huge boat, massive ship, and yet something proportionally, just a small little rudder. You just turn that and it completely controls the direction wherever the sailor wants to go. And again, these word pictures, we understand them. And so he ties it together, verse 5. Even so the tongue, that's what he's talking about. Our mouths, it's a little member and yet it can do great things. So he makes the connection for us. And James's point for us is that we do not want to disregard the influence and the impact of something, what we think is small. Just because it's small. 
And more importantly, it's the sobering reminder that your words and mine are powerful. They're powerful. They have great influence. Even the smallest of things that you and I could say to somebody else. Now, many of you, you've, you've heard this and now I've shared this story before. Parents divorced when I was younger, got to my middle school, high school years and just got off on the wrong track with the wrong crowd to the point where my dad didn't know what to do with me. I was here in Okinawa as a high schooler, so he ERD'd me. I went to live with my mom, who had gotten remarried. She's living in Yuma, in Yuma Proving Ground. I know some of you have been there. Hades on earth, so hot there. And for me, as a youngster, there was really not a lot to do, especially at Yuma Proving Ground. So I'd go to the gym. I, you know, I, I know it doesn't look like it, but I did. I went to the gym. Not that I worked out. I just went there. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'd go to the gym almost every day. That's what I did. And, and part of that was um, encouraged by, not just a place for me to escape, is that there's a gym attendant there who every time I walked in, he just had this little quick quip to me. He's like, hey, tiger, how's it going? Hey, champ. Hey, buff boy, you know, just these silly little things. But man, they were, it was like water to my soul. Like my, you know, it was just, I ate them up. He had no clue as to what was going on in my life and my heart and my head and what I was dealing with. And yet decades later, these are things I hold as treasures. That's the power of words. And that you and I have the same ability, the same potential to build a life, to speak truth and love and inspire and, 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 and uplift someone or to tear them down and knock them down and cut them down. Think about that with your, your mouth. It's sobering. And so James reminds us of this, the power of something so small yet so influential. And then he, then the illustrations he offers go towards the negative. And I think that's important. There's a warning there. He says, see how great a forest, a little fire kindles. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The old Testament says, uh, in the presence of many words, sin is not lacking. The tongue also set amongst our members. It defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. Those are some uh, introspective words. Heavy words for us to consider. Now, the analogy he offers now isn't necessarily one of neutrality. I mean, in one sense, fire, we could say, okay, fire in itself, it can be good, it can be bad. He, he illustrates it more of a destructive way, of a bad way. But, you know, fire, there's, there's good parts of fire, right? Fire where it belongs is good. The campfire, on a candle, at the Yakiniku grill, right? That's, you know, that's appropriate. <laughs> we like it. 
But when it's out of bounds or it's out of control, right, if it's on your clothes or it's on the curtains, that's not good. Right? We're not like grabbing marshmallows. Oh, oh look it. Right? And so this is what James wants us to understand. That our tongue is like a fire. And in the negative, just like a raging forest fire can be started by the smallest of ember. Someone careless, they flick their cigarette butt, they don't put out their campfire properly or whatever. Our mouths can create widespread destruction. When it is out of control, when it is out of bounds. And my in-laws live in Nevada near Reno and some of my family lives in Southern Cal. And usually around this time of year, like there's a lot of uh, awareness, right, of fires. And years pass, and some of you lived there before, right? And sometimes, man, it's gotten close to where you lived. And so there's a lot of awareness. The summer months especially, it's so dry. In fact, even right now, if you saw the news, there's a pretty horrible fire in France happening. And there's one in Hawaii on the big island of, of Hawaii happening. But you ever seen afterwards and you just see the trees and the charring and the black and the just, it's horrible. I mean, several years ago, we had some friends, I think it was, they were in um, Oregon. When that huge fire happened, they lost their house, lost everything. And so thousands of acres can be destroyed, right? Houses and lives and businesses and wildlife and lives. I mean, just all because of a fire, you know, something that started small. James is saying, you're aware of that? That is your mouth. That is my mouth. It is capable of such devastation to people around you. And if it's capable of that, man, how we have to be careful then with what we say. Proverbs 18, 21, and this is really James is amplifying what Solomon declared here, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words can be weaponized. They can be used for life. By the words that you and I speak, we have the power to bring vitality and healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration and inspiration. Or we have the same potential to cut and to wound and to inflict and to damage. You think about that. What you can plant, the potential in the heart of another person, your own spouse, your own family, a stranger kid at the gym. And so really what we're encouraged to do is to use our words wisely with the aim that we wouldn't bring destruction, but that we would bring construction and impart life and impart grace. The Bible says that we should season our speech with grace so that we might impart grace to the hearer. So gang, I, I was really convicted studying through this. The Spirit and making me stop and take an analysis of my own words and my own attitude and the attitude of my heart. Now what James doesn't offer us in terms of specifics, what types of speech, things that we say or don't say, but the Bible has a lot to say. Let me just offer a few. 
first of all, the Bible has a lot to say that, that we wouldn't be gossips. Just plain and simple. Do not gossip. I can't think of something more damaging to the body of Christ than gossip and backbiting. Where we're talking about somebody else behind their back. And sometimes we can be good at it. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did or what so-and-so said? Listen, gossip is insidious. It's evil. It's a form of assault on another person without them having the opportunity to either explain or understand, or even if they did say it, to apologize, to say, hey, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And so, you know, sometimes people say, oh, this little bird told me. I reply to them, you know how birds are often symbolic of evil in the Bible? So we want to be careful. The second thing the Bible tells us plainly is we don't lie. Over and over again, the scriptures talk about these things that God hates, a false witness, lying lips. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just tell the truth. And, and there's nuances to that. I'd say, don't, don't, don't stretch or twist the truth. Sometimes we present one side of it or one facet of it, right? And we, we purposely omit or we purposely downplay the other aspect because we're trying to make ourselves look right or look better in the eyes of whoever we're trying to, you know, we overemphasize one. So Jesus would just say, hey, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Here's another one. Don't, don't tell dirty or crude or coarse jokes. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm just keeping it real. Or this is where I come from. I think, okay, well, you can be real without having a potty mouth. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt speech come out of your mouth. Only that which is good for building up, for edification, and as the fits the occasion that I might impart grace to the person that you're talking to. And so we shouldn't let corrupt speech come out. And that includes cussing. So I, I realize for some of you, you're in an environment, you're in a culture, your workplace, or where you find yourself, in, and that's the world around you. That's the world that you find yourself in. And so that's the vocabulary around you. Can I lovingly challenge you? Change your vocabulary? Thesaurus.com is free. You know, you, know how to, you, you know how you can make a tremendous impact to your community, wherever you find yourself, if that's the, your environment, that's your culture? There's two things that you can do that are phenomenal witnesses. Well, actually three, but I'll, I'll give you the two. The first is smile. Like if you smile a lot, people will think something's wrong with you or they'll think you're high. They'll be like, what's wrong with you smiling? That's a great witness. Oh, I just love the Lord. And the second is, don't cuss. Like everyone around you might use profanity and you choose not to. That's going to be a marked difference by your speech alone. And the third is just be a good worker. <laughs> don't be late. Don't be lazy. But in terms of speech, just change your vocabulary. Get a better vocabulary. 
Colossians 3.8 says that we're to put away all slander and anger and wrath and malice and obscene talk from our mouth. Here's another one the Lord tells us in scripture. You ready? Do not grumble or complain. Uh, That's very convicting for me. The reality is when we do that, what happens? We're telling God we don't like what he has provided or what he has permitted. It's really a faith issue when it comes down to it. Perhaps you've heard this acronym before. It doesn't quite translate into Japanese or Korean or Chinese or Tagalog so I, or Spanish, so I apologize. But in English, there's uh, this acronym, and it's just it's THINK, T-H-I-N-K. And it's the idea that we apply that acronym, THINK, before we speak. Right? Many of you military, you guys like acronyms, right? So the T just stands for TRUE. Is it true? You just ask yourself, before I say this, do I know this to be true? Or am I just sharing what I've heard, and I don't know that it's factual, and so now I'm just spreading hearsay, or I'm just spreading gossip. And so the scripture says plainly, right? If you don't know that it's true, don't say it. Go find out. But that's the first question. Is it true? The second is, is it helpful? H, is it helpful? Because sometimes it can be true, but it doesn't really help. So does it aid? Does it help the situation? The I is inspiring. Does this bring a person, does it lift them up? N, and this is where I get convicted on N, is it necessary? Do I really need to say something or is it just because I want to say something? Because sometimes our motive can be, well, I just want to show this person how much I know. Which is really just a form of pride, right? That's N. Is it necessary? Is it necessary for me to add to this? And then K really is just, is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? I'm going to part kindness as I say this. And, and a kind word has tremendous mileage, by the way. And so think before we speak. Well, let's continue. Verse 7 and 8. James then offers these other illustrations. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And so here are more illustrations. It's illustrating it to like taming wild animals and illustrating it by poison. And it is pretty amazing to think about how wild animals have been tamed. We pay money to go watch killer whales do flips, right? And dolphins that, you know, go to the zoo. The McGee's went and they're like hanging out with tigers. Seeing those, those elephants that... You know, they lift their feet and they put them on a beach ball or dancing bears or whatever. All these things, these wild animals that have been tamed. Maybe you've even seen on the 330, a guy that walks his giant tortoise sometimes down the street. You ever seen that? Anybody here back in the summer of 2019? You guys been around that long? Anybody? A few of you? So in June of 2019, 14 monkeys escaped the Okinawa City Zoo. They weren't tamed. They got out. 
<laughs> and the article was that the monkey unlatched the thing and they all got out. It was crazy. If you were here, you remember? And they even, here's the funny part. They had wanted posters like at Family Mart. And they're like 14 different mug shots of these monkeys. I so wanted to be like, can I have this? James says, even wild animals can be tamed. But who can tame the tongue? Who can tame the tongue? He says, no one can. And what he means by that is no one in their own ability, right? No one in their own power, their own strength can do that. That's a, that is the fruit of the spirit. That is the power and the enabling of God in us to be able then to control and tame our tongue. Because plainly he just says, it is a unruly evil. Again, a, a negative connotation, a negative illustration. And he adds to it, it's deadly poison. And what a, what a word picture. Because when you think about poison, right? Poison, usually it, it's slow acting. It's something that goes, you know, we ingest it or digest it. And it begins to make its way inside of us. And how words can work like that. Just sit in our heart and sit in our mind. Sometimes we, we can replay conversations, can't we? And it's the same hurt over and over and over again. The lies that the enemy has told us. Things, you know, people that we've loved, that we respected, that we looked up to at one time, perhaps. Oh, it's like a poison. And so for us then, we have to be careful. And by the way, can I offer this? That's not only true of words that we speak. It's also true of words that we post on social media, words that we write. And then he continues, he says, listen, with this mouth, we bless God and our God and father. And then with it, we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God out of the same mouth, proceed blessing and cursing. Here's James application. He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be. So today's vernacular, he'd say, knock it off. Don't do it. Then he asks these rhetorical questions, offering additional illustrations. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, there it is, my brethren. He says it again in verse 10. Can can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grape vine bear figs? Of course, the answer is no. It'd be unnatural. And so he concludes, at least this thought where we conclude, he says, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. And, And what is he noting here? He's noting the hypocrisy that we are capable of hypocrisy, the same source that yields two different products. We bless God and we curse people. And then he just gives us the main imperative. He, and he says, family, this isn't good. Don't have a double tongue. Now, James back in chapter one addressed this before. And one of the things, important things that he brought into the discussion before was, he says that our words come from our heart. And that's really what Jesus said. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, out of the abundance of your heart and my heart, our mouths speak. 
And so if we bring this home, the way that you and I will wash our mouths often is to wash our hearts. Because if we have an issue with our mouth, it's an issue with our heart. Now, when I was a younger kid, if I said something bad or wrong, my mom would wash my mouth out with soap. Is there that? And I thank God that they didn't have liquid soap back then. Right? If it was really bad, my mom would chase me around with her chanclas. Right? She was a mat. She was like a ninja with her flip-flops. Right? But often if it was just, I said something potty mouth, whatever, then whoop, into the bathroom I went and soap in my mouth. How do we do that today? How do we wash our mouths? Well, it's washing our heart. Spiritual soap that God's given us. First John 1, 9. If you and I confess our sins, and when we do, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Again, the same grace in which we've been saved is the grace in which we walk. We're sanctified. And so we slip up. We stumble at times. But God wants us to grow. God wants us to mature. And we can pray, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I repent. Sanctify my mouth, please, Lord. Set a guard over my lips, please. And then he ends with these examples by asking these questions. And, and really the point being, uh, what's being produced? Right? It doesn't match the source. A fig tree doesn't bear olives, and a grapevine doesn't bear figs. That's unnatural. The natural order would be that uh, if Christ is in us, then speech that becomes Christ, right? conduct becoming a Christian, honoring the Lord, imparting life and grace. That's what should be coming out of our mouth. That just as our works will reveal Christ in us, so will our words. Amen.